Good morning, everyone. I hope everyone is having a good semester. Classes are going well. Today, I am going to be doing a podcast with my good friend, Samantha Harris. Um, she is a religion major with a philosophy minor, I believe, right? Yeah. So, hi, guys. I'm Sam. Um, I'm a religion major here at St. Leo University, and I'm minoring in philosophy. Um, and I'm really excited to be here with y'all today. I am the co-president of Amago Day, and I'm part of campus ministry as well. And it's just been a great experience learning so much. And I'm really happy to be here and share a little bit with y'all today. Yes, she is a very well-rounded individual, very intelligent as well. So we're very happy to have her as our guest today. Um, today we are really there's there's a variety of topics I could have covered. Um, for this podcast, but one that really intrigued me when we were going over the different lesson uh, points in class this entire semester surrounded the Protestant Reformation. Being a Catholic, um, I always was curious about the more in-depth points within the Reformation period, um, and so I figured that this would be an incredible opportunity to kind of um, see uh, their kind of side and um, the history behind it all. I think it's uh, very interesting and good for growth, um, for knowledge, and and you know all the good stuff that comes along with being a college student. <laughs> um, but more specifically, later on, I'll be getting into the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, but for the time being. Um, I believe uh, my good friend here, she really, she studied into uh, Martin Luther and his uh, 95 Thesis and the whole kind of shebang of things, um, which really began um, the Reformation itself, um, this all happening before, but I'm going to stop talking now and I'll pass it on to uh, Sam here so she could provide us with her knowledge. Awesome. Thanks, Julia. Um, yeah, so I got to study the Protestant Reformation in a few of my classes. Um, I particularly wrote a paper on Luther. We studied the differences between like Luther and Calvinists and how they separated from the church. What I found most interesting, though, about Luther was that he was an Augustinian friar and a university lecturer at Wittenberg and Saxon in Germany. So he's an extremely well-educated individual. He was super close to the faith. Um, as a priest, he he knew what was going on, like, firsthand. But what bothered him most in the Catholic Church at the time was the fact of, was the idea of indulgences. So the church was actually asking people for money, but in a way that if you gave the church money, the church promised to take away some of your time in purgatory. This was very grounded, very rooted in the idea of greed. Um, it's one thing to give tithes to the church, it's something else entirely to promise salvation through finances, and Luther saw that as a great problem, on top of some other things that he disagreed with. But in 1517, he wrote his famous 95 Theses, which I believe you guys cut, covered in class, um, in which... Somewhat, kind of. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in, in that, he mentioned all the different things that he wanted to reform, he wanted to change. It's not that he hated his faith, it was that he saw the need for growth and the need for change. 
Um, but I know from there, the Protestant Reformation kept growing. I know that you did, you personally did some research on King Henry VIII. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, really, King Henry VIII um, kind of pushed things to further. I, it seems like, you know, Martin Luther, he really, I didn't know that um, he was as educated as he as he was. That wasn't ever really something um, I knew about, so that's quite interesting, but uh, yeah, so King Henry VIII, um, in 1534, he requested from the church to separate from his wife at the time, Catherine of Aragon. Um, this was simply because she could not produce a male heir, and as we all know, during this time period, uh, people were looking for male heirs, not female heirs. Uh, so he requested this, but the church didn't grant that, and out of... Um, of anger and out of disappointment, he decided to separate. And at this time, in 1534, that is when the Anglican community uh, came into formation. Um, And this excited people greatly because with the things that were happening with Martin Luther and all these different separations, the people were ready to kind of just want to do their own thing. They had this revolutionary spirit. And um, this all really prompted uh, these events to occur. Uh, this kind of gets me into now, obviously, like there's kind of a big year gap, but um, we see that in 1533, I bl- oh, sorry, wrong date, um, not 1533, sorry about that. Uh, in 1549, um, a man by the uh, name of Thomas Cramer, he became an Archbishop of Canterbury um, around the 1550s, and basically he was the first developer of the Book of Common Prayer. Now, what is the Book of Common Prayer? Have, have you ever heard of it before, or is this your first time kind of hearing about it? I personally haven't done too much research on the Book of Common Prayer. Um, mm-hmm. I know it's been mentioned a few times in class that it was definitely a Protestant idea, but if you could elaborate more on it, that'd be cool. Yeah. So basically, the the book was just kind of at the beginning, at its beginning stages. It was really only a collection of different prayers, kind of like how our missiles are today. We have your different, um, the sacraments that are in there, you have your evening prayers, maybe some dinner prayers, all the good kind of content. Um, But in this specific book, it was designed um, very intricately. They picked and chose the different prayers they wanted to feature in it, but it included your um, morning, uh, midday, uh, afternoon, and evening prayers within it, as well as the different sacraments. But all the while making sure there's no Catholic ideology as much in it. They had this as kind of like a cover-up from the Catholic Church um, to kind of hide that this book uh, wasn't a part of them because the Catholic Church was really trying to um, not have this separation continue. They wanted to really try to get back together as church and state united, but obviously the people weren't really wanting that anymore. So basically, it was just a collection of different prayers that was first started by Thomas Cramer. It's um, gradually kind of uh, developed over the years, and there were constant revisions. 
The downside with the book was that depending on who was in power, so who was king at the time, or as we get into a little, like, and soon, um, who was queen at the time, um, it really depended on what they wanted to convince the people. And so the Book of Common Prayer for them was kind of an outlet of um, brainwashing and trying to convince the people to go on their side. That is kind of what it became. And instead of it being an outlet of good, it gradually was becoming an outlet of the bad. So um, this kind of was happening and the people didn't really know what side to go on. But um, in 1553, uh, under Catholic Queen Mary, uh, she restored the Latin liturgical books and she was against this Book of Common Prayer and the Protestant Reformation that was really happening. Um, and it wasn't until uh, after, there was a lot of different revolutions that kind of happened during this period as well, but then in 1558, when Elizabeth I came into, she was a part of the Anglican community, she was part of the Protestantism idea, and so she restored the Book of Common Prayer, and it was becoming more widely accepted um, than in the beginning. So is the Book of Common Prayer still used today by our Protestant brothers and sisters? It is, actually. Um, obviously not in its original formatting, um, but through oh, all course. the revisions. Things and change. Catholics don't use indulgences anymore, you know? Yes, thank goodness. Oh my gosh, we would, that would not be good if we did. Um, but... Yeah, so, um, yeah, our Protestant and Anglican uh, people, they, they do use the Book of Common Prayer today. It's mainly just for private practice, and they do use it in their church services. Um, but it, it was pretty impactful, uh, as we see in both the religious and political realms. Uh, but that's all we have for today. Um, thank you so much for tuning in to this short little lesson period. I know it was a lot to squeeze in in a short amount of time, but thank you again to my good friend, Samantha Harris. Of course. Thank you guys for having me today. It was an absolute pleasure being here. Yes, and uh, thank you again. And I hope everyone has a good rest of their semester. All right. Bye.